So I had another experience, another mystical experience after I got married. We were at church and we were saying the creed. And we said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. And I had a mini chastisement from God. Now, mind you, I was a believing Catholic. I went to, you know, was in the pews. I was a quote, good and good, good Catholic, right? Sure. Um, And the Lord let me know I wasn't. Welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose. And is episode three too soon to get into something controversial? I don't actually think that this episode is controversial, but it seems like whenever you talk about racism, people flock to the furthest ends of their political affiliations. I think that there's a fear amongst people who consider themselves to be faithful Catholics, loyal to the church, orthodox, that if they speak out against racism, they will be accused of being liberals or being on the left or being Democrats because racism is a huge talking point on that side of the aisle. Um, But I don't think that's a good excuse to either push back against the conversation or just to avoid it altogether. Um, You know, we should recognize that there is something good in the secular world's recognition of the evils of racism. Um, And I think that the church has something to contribute to that conversation because at the end of the day, there's not really a strong basis for human equality unless you appeal to something spiritual. Uh, On a physical level, people are not equal. Some people are stronger and taller and smarter and wealthier and better looking. Um, Our basis for equality is rooted in the fact that we are made by God and we are made in God's image and likeness. I also think it's It's not a sin to acknowledge that there has been a history of racism in the American Catholic Church. Um, It was something that was shocking to me when I discovered it. But you're not, you know, it's not anti-Catholic to speak about it, just as it's not anti-Catholic to talk about the sex abuse crisis. You know, if there is evil in the church, we want to root it out. I loved this conversation with Gloria Purvis. She was absolutely fascinating, and we didn't even get into these hot topics until towards the end of the conversation because we just got off on her conversion to Catholicism and her spiritual life, and she was sharing mystical experiences that she has had. And when you listen to her speak, there will be no doubt in your mind that she is a loyal daughter of the church, that she is Catholic to the bone. And that, I think, gives a lot of credibility to the things that she says. So... I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. This is definitely one that you want to listen to start to finish. She absolutely blew me away, uh, and I'm so grateful that she took the time to speak with me. As always, make sure you are subscribing, liking, commenting, sharing, and doing all those great algorithm-boosting activities. And now, my conversation with Gloria Purvis. Gloria Purvis is a writer, speaker, and host of the Gloria Purvis podcast from America Magazine. She's also the inaugural pastoral fellow for the University of Notre Dame's Office of Life and Human Dignity at the McGrath Institute for Church Life, on the board of the Northwest Pregnancy and Maternity Center in Washington, D.C., and serves as a consultant for the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops Religious Liberty Committee. She's written for publications such as Deseret, America Magazine, Our Sunday Visitor, National Catholic Reporter, Newsweek, and others. 
She was also the recipient of the 2020 Catholic of the Year Award from our Sunday visitor. Gloria, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, so thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak with you. Fantastic. So I don't know a ton about your background, but I was um, looking up a few things and I saw one that you're actually a convert to the Catholic faith and two that you're initial career background is nothing related to media. Is that true? Right. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah. I converted as a child. I converted oh, really? Age, yeah. I converted age 12. I was the oh. only Catholic in my family. Um, it really changed our entire family life. And yeah. And I, my, my background was in financial risk management, counterparty risk, credit risk, derivative risk management, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So what um, were you were you going to Catholic school as, as a child? Yeah, yeah. My um, parents sent me and all my sisters to Catholic school from first to 12th grade because, okay. you know, I'm from the South. And oh, OK, they were like, where who we want our kids to have a good education. They were like, yeah, Catholics can do it. They give good educations. So they sent us to Catholic school. And at the time, um, and it's still kind of like that, I guess, where I'm from in South Carolina, although legal segregation had long gone. Mm -hmm. I went to a school where all the black kids went to school. So I went to basically a Catholic school where all everybody else was black, uh, like me, um, except oh, wow. for maybe the principal and maybe a couple of people in the administration, but yeah. So uh, most of the teachers were also black. Yeah. From first to eighth grade, my experience of Catholicism was a black one. Meaning my first encounter with a religious sister was a black religious sister. She was in a habit. Wow. My first encounter with a priest was a black priest. And so that was normative to me for Catholicism. <laughs> um, just, I mean, I just think it's such an interesting experience. That yeah. That's what where, my experience of Catholicism was. Yeah. yeah. Where in South Carolina was that? Charleston. And my um, first grade teacher, Sister Mary of Mercy, was an oblate sister of Providence, okay. which was, which is a religious community was founded by servant of God, Mary Lang, four black women, um, was founded in Baltimore. And um, yeah, they were the first community of black women religious in the United States. Wow. Now the church that you, I guess, grew up going to before that, was that also predominantly a black community? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was a Methodist. It was a black Methodist church. United Methodist Episcopal is what UME is what we were. Okay. But yeah. Was, everybody was black pastor everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So do you remember what drew you to the Catholic faith at such a young age? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a very, I had a mystical experience during adoration. Wow. Um, that uh, we were, we've been, we were in adoration because we'd been acting up as kids and had a food <laughs> fight and um, during lunch and, um, but we were good kids and we, and we recognized this isn't fair for the janitorial staff to mm -hmm. clean up. So we cleaned up the cafeteria, lickety, you know, just super clean. Right. But after, you know, after recess and lunch, we had religion class with the principal of the school who was a religious sister. And she was not impressed that we cleaned up. everything. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, she was very, very unhappy with our behavior. And um, after we all did a public confession that we had done it, because she'd ask one by one, if you participated. So we all confessed that we had, oh my gosh. um, she was so just, she was like, that's it. We're going over to this church to pray. You know, <laughs> so she marched us across the parking lot to the cathedral church. Cause the school I went to was a cathedral school. So right across the parking lot was the cathedral for the diocese. 
And so we went into the lower church where they had Eucharistic adoration. The monstrance was there. And, you know, we sat quietly while Sister Carmelita was on her knees in front of the monstrance, working it out with Jesus. She wanted to kill us. Wow. <laughs> I think she was trying to get guidance and strength. I mean, she was, yo, I remember. I can still see her, like, gesticulating in front of the monstrance. Oh, my god! But gosh. while she was there working it out with Jesus, and we were all sitting quietly hoping to live another day, right. um, <laughs> it was in that silence um, in front of the monstrance that I was engulfed in flames. Uh, I, I can only describe it as my body being completely engulfed in fire. I knew I was burning, but it didn't hurt. And in the flames, in being consumed by the fire, I had an immediate knowledge that what was in the monstrance was real and alive. Wow. I cannot describe it to you. I still remember wow. it like it was yesterday, the sensation. Um, and so a few days later, Sister Carmelita was like, all right, time for to get to Catholics ready for confirmation. And I said, sister, I think I'm supposed to be a Catholic. And she was like, uh, you can't just come in here and say you're going to be a Catholic. <laughs> you have to go home and ask your parents permission for you to become a Catholic. Yeah. And I, and I did just the opposite. I went home and I informed my parents that I was becoming a Catholic. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, and they're not Catholic. So I remember my dad going, what is she talking about? And my mom was like, oh, you're going to be a Catholic? Okay. You're going to go to mass every Sunday, every holy day of obligation. You're not going to eat meat on Fridays and you're mm-hmm. going to pray your rosary. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that? And I was like, yep. And she was like, okay. And that's how it was. So I became wow. a Catholic and I went to mass by myself. I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Wow. Um, are you yeah. still the only Catholic in your family? God is so good. All of my sisters converted to Catholicism. Wow. All of their husbands are Catholic or either converted once they got married wow. and all the grandchildren are Catholic. <laughs> That's beautiful. So everybody's Catholic. My parents uh, did not ever come into the church, okay. but they received so many graces uh, from the church, from God, really. Yeah. Uh, just the way in which they died and the way the church was mm. present for them. Uh, I am so thankful to I won't say his name, but the priest that came into the ICU when my mother was dying and did all the beautiful prayers mm-hmm. of the church, the litany wow. of the saints, gave her all those blessings yeah. and, and God himself really for the generosity he had shown to my parents for their generosity in uh, accepting my yes and in accepting my yes. So many things like my, one of my older sisters converted and she died at a young age in a car accident. And oh. so my parents got to see the beauty of the church from the embrace of the priest uh, of our family during the death of my sister and walking my parents through a Catholic funeral, having to plan a Catholic funeral for somebody that's 21. Oh my gosh. And um, so, yeah, I mean, just the things that I could tell you how uh, their experience of Catholicism because their children had, had embraced Catholicism, I think was a beautiful thing because all of us got married in the church. You know, all of our children were baptized Catholic, uh, the first communions, the confirmations, um, the what are you giving up for Lent? Right, right. <laughs> and that's the funny thing. Because I didn't eat meat on Fridays, nobody ate meat on Fridays because my mom is not cooking twice. Yeah. She was, you know, I guess she we're was, all fasting today. <laughs> right. We're all, yes, it, it was. It, when I tell you that our life changed uh, because I became Catholic, it really did. I mean, think as Protestants, they didn't go to Christmas uh, service if it wasn't on Sunday. 
So me going to midnight mass in the middle of the week, yeah. you know, change things. And they wait for me to come back from mass and, you know, we'd wait then and open our gifts then. And just so, you know, my mom had to, she just, and my, and my parents, I mean, I think about my grandmother, my Baptist grandmother lived with us. Mm-hmm. She's the reason I got to see St. Teresa of Calcutta. She's the reason I got really? to see St. John Paul II when they came to South Carolina. Yeah. Because she went to my father and was like, your child's Catholic. These people are important. We got to pack the car and go see these people. Wow. And so she was, you know, she encouraged me to pray my rosary. She um, took a rosary and walked me into her bedroom. She had one of these grand Southern beds, the four poster beds. And she put the rosary around one of the things on the po- po- uh, four poster bed that was right next to her Bible that was open. Of course, she's Baptist. Yeah. And yeah. She's like, you see that? She's like, I want you to know it's okay to pray it. Wow. And so um, she actually taught me a lot of Catholic devotions because um, I didn't know, you know, as a yeah. little Catholic, I didn't know a lot of things. So she was the one that's like, you see that? We're going by a Catholic church. You're one of them. You got to make the sign of the cross. Now. <laughs> you know, so, oh gosh, that's yeah. fascinating because you, you always hear stories more of like, you know, Southern Protestants being very anti-Catholic and, and then here your family's really encouraging your private oh, yeah. devotions. Oh, yeah, they they were. Oh, yeah. Super, super supportive. Um, no, no hangups or worries or biases against Catholicism. I think their biggest thing is you believe in God and you're going to practice your faith. You know, you're, you're a Christian, Catholic, you're going to practice your faith. All the things that your faith requires of you, you know, you are going to meet those obligations. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, I, I didn't realize how, how, unique that was until I was an adult and started hearing about the people's conversion experience trials, if you will. Yeah. I, mine was not a trial at all. Complete acceptance by my family. Yeah, that's amazing. That's just a fascinating, I, I'm always fascinated just the way the Holy Spirit works in different people's lives, you know, where, where some people have this grace of conversion and then they have to suffer being like cut off from their family members and others have this grace of yeah. conversion and they're just nourished and embraced in in a way I don't I, I don't oh know gosh, I can't I can't yeah. understand why things happen the way they do other than human nature the mysteries of God but right that's fascinating. Well, I, and I have to tell you my parents I when I tell you my parents were graced and blessed by God by their um, acceptance and affirmation and support of my faith it's not an exaggeration we've gone through so many trials in my family and we saw God show up in particular ways through his saints, through the Blessed Mother. Um, my mother had an emergency surgery and didn't wake up after the surgery and was in a coma. And we would go in, I had to go up down to South Carolina every weekend to visit her in a coma in an ICU. And we had the green scapular on her. We would entrust her to the Blessed Virgin Mary every night. And I remember one, you know, we have to get up at dawn to go down there. So it'd be dark and cold. And I remember I just sort of had a breakdown when I was waking up one morning that I just didn't have it in me to go down there and see her dead to me like Mm. that. I was sort of like, I don't know, freaking out. I just could not handle it. And I heard a voice say, that's what love is. And I was like, and it sort of sobered me up for a moment. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. This is what love is. You, you go and you, even if, you know, it's, it's, seems unbearable and when I walked into her room she had a a private room and a little curtain around her bed 
and uh, a chair near the head of the bed. When I walked in the room that early morning, um, next to her at the very head of the bed, I saw for like a millionth of a second Christ sitting there with a crown of thorns. And he was just, he just caught my, I caught his gaze for in a millionth of a second. And then at that time I heard scripture, his love endures forever. And at that moment, how can I say this? The pain that I felt in looking at my mother dead to me was the pain that Christ felt over the ocean of time for every soul dead to him through sin. Wow. But he would not turn his eyes away from these souls because he loves them and he's waiting for them to turn back to him so he, he could give them life. And I just heard Kieran here in scripture, his love endures forever. His mercy endures forever. And uh, I still meditate on that. And yeah. it just, oh my gosh. Just say, <laughs> and the endurance of God's love for us. It, it also strengthened me in that moment that I could endure this suffering of sitting and watching and not knowing. Right. Uh, of course, God knows, but not knowing whether she's going to wake up or not. But that's what love is. And uh, if I'm the love like Christ loves, I cannot turn my eye away from her or myself away from her because it was painful. And also to know that God himself has not turned himself away from us, you yeah. know, despite our rejecting him through sin and, and turning away. Uh, it's it's hard to describe, yeah. but no, uh, well, I, I remember yeah. those moments. I remember yeah. those moments. I just, yeah. Well, yeah, it's actually interesting because when I, I mean, you know, that verse, his love endures forever. I've heard that a thousand times. And and in my mind, I always just translate endure as like his love lasts forever. His love goes on forever, which is, is, is a true translation. But like really when we use the word endurance, we're talking about usually in the midst of suffering that you have to yeah. endure something difficult. And so to say his love endures forever in that context, it's like, you know, his love, it's kind of like an endurance runner. Like his love is yeah. going through yes. the trial forever. It's, it's experiencing yes. trials constantly and, pers- and persevering. Yes. From some disobedient children who he <laughs> loves dearly and we consistently reject him and turn away from him. And because he loves us, he does not turn away from us despite the pain. If you will, I, I guess if we would describe it that way, the pain and suffering that loving us entails. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, really though. That's, I mean, that's such a beautiful way to look at it, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really true. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh man. Um, I could talk to you about that forever, but I do have a couple <laughs> of things I want to get to. Um, sure, sure. so uh, real quick, how did you get your start in Catholic media then? So you were a Catholic oh. I'm for a long time. How did you, how, cause I know you had a, a radio show. Yeah, you know, it was accidental. I never planned it. I didn't want it. I actually rejected um, EWTN when they, like, I just wasn't interested when they first uh, came to me. I was, you know, had a successful career in corporate America. Um, I was active in my parish. I had already, um, so I had another experience, another mystical experience after I got married. We were at church and we were saying the creed. And we said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. And I had a mini chastisement from God. Now, mind you, wow. I was a believing Catholic. I went to, you know, was in the pews. I was a quote, good and good, good Catholic, right? Sure. Um, and the Lord let me know I wasn't. Wow. Um, uh, so when I said that part of the creed, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, I heard a voice say, are you lying? 
Are you blaspheming? How can you believe in the Holy Spirit, Lord, and giver of life when you're doing nothing to defend his gift of life on earth? How could you ask for the gift of life? You know, when you face, I can't remember the voice said me, but I got the impression like you're going to ask this and you think you're worthy. You think you're going to, and um, it was all like, again, in a hair of a second. So brief and it was so intense it, I fell to my knees during mass my husband's like what are you doing I was like I'll tell you later <laughs> oh my <But> gosh <laughs> at, at that moment though I wouldn't suggest it I, you don't want a mini chastisement it, it's very, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want it you do not want it. I've, I've prayed for it before and I don't think I've gotten no, it yet <laughs> you, you don't want it <laughs> you don't want it and it, it, it makes me shudder when I wow. think of judgment honestly wow. but um in that small 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 moment of the Lord letting me see a just a, a glimpse, a little glimpse of myself. I don't think I could have handled the whole ugliness of yeah. my soul, but just a glimpse. Uh, it it set me on a desire. Well, why does the church teach? What does the church teach exactly on these things? And and more importantly, why? And so it set me on like I, I was just voracious for the things of the Lord, you know, in a way that I hadn't been before. And uh, I recognized that to believe, to say I believe these things has consequence, that we're not alone at the Holy Mass. We're saying these things in front of God himself and the entire celestial court. And if these things are true, and then our lives should demonstrate how we believe these things. How is what I'm saying during Mass demonstrated in my daily life? And it... Um, so it set me on this course of just wanting to know everything the Lord had to say about the human person, a dignity human person, about sex, marriage, family, all that stuff. And then in the way that the Lord is so generous, he put opportunities in front of me to share his beauty. And, but it was, it was in work. It was at the dry cleaners, the hairdresser, wherever. So it's funny, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you got to go out and be a missionary or you got to go out and evangelize. I'm like, you don't have to go out, <laughs> pay attention and be, pay attention to who God is putting in front of you. Yeah. Pay attention to those situations and are you willing to speak? And, you know, a lot of times people are afraid to say anything on their job, but I had so many people say ignorant things about Catholicism. Right. And I was like, well, they brought it up. So here's my opportunity to you know, politely, lovingly say, actually, mm -hmm. this is what we believe. You know, I, I mean, girl, I have been through it. I had one lady was talking about, she's getting, she was uh, getting married in a Catholic church. They were having a, their mass, wedding mass in a couple of weeks, but she and her husband were trying to decide on which kind of contraception to use. Oh my goodness. And I, and so I said, wait a minute, didn't you say you're getting married in a Catholic church? She was like, yeah. I said, well, why use anything? <laughs> You know, I was like, you know, oh my gosh, the boldness of that. Yeah. Well, but it was, a, it was a work too. And I was yeah, like, yeah, your you know, job. It, yeah, my job. It, but and she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, when you say your vows, you're not saying I take all of you except for your fertility. Right. I was like, so are you taking all of him? Is he taking all of you? I was like, so why use anything? I mean, that you're getting married. Come on. Wow. And she's like, I, she's like, I can't believe we're talking about this. I was like, honey, you brought it up. And oh my <laughs> gosh. And then we just, I just kind of laughed and then left the lunchroom or whatever, yeah. the lunch, the big cafeteria. But I also, to tell you the truth, have a lot of discussions with God. I pray a lot. Like I talked to him all the time and I was like, Lord, you know what? I'm going to lose my job, but you got to pay this mortgage. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I was very much always, because, you know, 
it does take, you have a, a pang of fear for, you know, you Absolutely. fear saying something, but you have to also decide how you're going to say something or, you know, how are you, you can't, to me, I, I take the position that people just don't know. So I'm not taking a position of hostility. I'm not taking the position that I need to dominate them or that I need to win the conversation. I'm trying to win them over to Christ. I'm not trying to win over them, you know, Um, and, and, and just, you know, be open in that regard. And also I ask the Lord to put a guard at my lips, you know, if I'm not to speak, put a guard, cause you know, Lord, I could, I don't want to be reckless, but right. help me out here. Right. And then there were those occasions too, I must tell you, where I realized that the Lord was showing me the brokenness of a person was so severe, the words weren't going to do that I needed to pray and fast for them. Wow. And that's a difficult thing for people I don't like. <laughs> oh yes. It's difficult to pray and fast period, you know, people yep. you do like. <laughs> and for those you don't like is even, and, but then that's the, 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 the funny thing of it is, you know, when I'd be like, eh, it's kind of, <laughs> he's like, oh, and you think you all out, you know, kind of thing. you think you're so wonderful, you know, and it was like, yeah, Lord, you're right. Cause when I choose to be your enemy through choosing sin, you still suffered and died for me. So who am I? to sit up here and get all up in my feelings over somebody and not mm. want to pray and fast with them. You know, he's, he's, he's funny too, frankly. He has a sense of humor uh, as well. He really <laughs> he does. does. <laughs> he has a sense of humor. And he also, you know, I've seen him, I, I'll just put it like this. I went to a Catholic conference once and girl, they had nothing Catholic up in the place. There was no mass. Oh my there was gosh. just, I was, I was grieved. And um, I went to mass. Um, we had to leave the conference to go to mass. And I remember at mass um, afterwards, um, when I was meditating, I saw him with his back turned, so to speak. Like he was, he was letting me know he was not pleased with what was happening. And so I was just begging him to please, please, you know, don't, I just was begging him to help us with the situation and this, these people, this Catholics, this conference. And I just remember how he looked over his shoulder at me for a moment and he let me know, okay, so to speak. And, um, but I realized that the work was going to be really difficult. It was going to be very hostile. It was going to be very uncomfortable, but if I was willing to persevere in that discomfort, if I was willing to persevere in all the kinds of abuse for lack of a better word, on his behalf, that it, there would be some merit for the, these groups, this group of Catholics. So just um, just little things that I was thinking about with him, you know, yeah, wow. he's great. He's loving. I mean, he's God. <laughs> so I would encourage people to, by praying, you know, you're, you're communing with him. And I think so, Teresa Valva says prayer is the gate by which we enter in communion with God. I think she talks about that in the interior castle. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people think of prayer as this has to be super formal or whatever. Right. Prayer just needs to be you honestly speaking to him and honestly listening and waiting. Right. And you can do that all the time, anywhere. Um, right. Well, yeah, you, are- you kind of allude to like, I think one of my one of the reasons why I avoid prayer is I'm always afraid of what God's going to ask me to do. You know, it's like, yeah, well. it's like uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's convenient yeah. to kind of busy yourself. If you're like, I don't know what's gonna, you know, what's he going to say today? <laughs> He's going to put something on me. You know, 
<laughs> you know, uh, you, but you know, he, so I had to tell you this one thing, uh, like that. So um, I used to, okay, so I would say these crazy things to God, girl, just all in love, and saying all this <laughs> stuff to him. And I think he must have been like, oh, yeah, oh, for, for real? Okay, well, here you go. And the and what he gave me literally laid me out flat on my bed. I could not lift myself out of bed. He waylaid me, you know, because I was like, I love you. Let right. me do this. Right. All that yang, right? And he could, you know, how you just <laughs> saying all this stuff because you all love, love, love. You, yeah, let it come on you, right? Then you're like, well. So when he let me see the emptiness of my proclamations of love, it was so humbling. And I had to say to him, Lord, my love is not deep enough to sustain this kind of suffering. Mm. And he then immediately lifted it up off of me and I was able to sit up and get up out of my bed and walk, you know, a function again. But it was so humbling. And it also made me realize that that you have to develop a love in a relationship with him. Mm. It can't just be these, you know, sort of emotional proclamations there has to be some real connection and development in yourself with him um so it was very humbling i'll I'll just put it like that it was very humbling and i was very grateful and i also realized that to love the lord you have to be willing to suffer Okay, and I realize also that the people he gives us in our lives help us grow in being able to love him through others in that suffering. So, for example, being a mother, being a wife, you know, there's suffering in that. Yeah, there is a dying to self in loving your family. And there is a a goodness in that as well. Um, So the dying to yourself by loving your family is pleasing to God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but not in a servile, abusive kind of love, you know, because there's a problem, I think, right now in, in sort of the Catholic social media sphere with this um, um, sort of male dominance kind of stuff mm-hmm. as if, you know, that is something something good. And I was like, it's a perversion mm-hmm. of love. Absolutely. Uh, rather than... Um, uh, a true understanding of human persons uh, in the in, in covenant, if you will. So anyway, um, that's why I want to make that clear. I'm not talking about yes. that kind of a- ask your husband. Oh, stupid. girl, don't even get me started. It's just yes. abusive and stupid. It is, but um, well, when you say <laughs> when you say the husband's the head, the wife is Christ, the head of the church. Well, that that means you know crucifixion, right? That doesn't yes. mean domineering. Domination. Yes, right. yes, absolutely. And if 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 they even for a moment really sat with um, free will, right? Yeah. And uh, they would understand to me how, how absurd all of that is. And even understand a true understanding of marriage. Right. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a two becoming one, not one dominating the other. It's just, it was right. sick. To me, it was more, to me, all that stuff sounds more like a BDSM kink than it does Catholicism. Oh, yeah. No, well, being for real. <laughs> I was like, that ain't Catholic. That is garbage, right. Man. Well, that I mean, the only the only competition there is in marriage is, is should be for the lowest place, not the highest place. It's it's to oh serve, gosh, not yeah. to reign. I mean, like you're always <laughs> looking to the delight of the other. You're always looking to the what is the good yeah. of the other. And then when you have children, 
you 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 just like you just want to delight in what's best for the child and right how, you know it's so like for example I remember I had a girlfriend that couldn't believe you know she's like oh my gosh you have to change diapers and I was like <laughs> you know love makes things pleasant it, it's nothing it's nothing. She's like, oh my gosh, you have to deal with a teething baby. How right. long do they teeth? And I was like, mm, two years. And she was like, years. And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. But it, you know, I was like, but love makes these things bearable. It's true. And I think it's you, true. And I do think in these relationships that we have, we sort of peak the inner life of God. Mm. We really do. And it, I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, Lourdes, how I was meditating so much on the love of the father for us that he would permit the suffering of the son. Because I'm gonna tell you, I was like, if it was up to me and that, y'all, my child suffer all of y'all, mm, forget it. You know? <laughs> right. no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's your mother instinct. I mean, to yes, protect girl. your child at all costs. You know? Absolutely. And I was like, boys, humanity be lost. Cause mm -mm. Right. Right. But then at the same time, like there, it, it does take a greater love to expose your child to, to vulnerability because you know that if you shelter your child, they're going to yeah. be stunted in their growth, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's about, you know, um, making sure that they're exposed to things that are age appropriate and things that you think they can handle and you prepare them for. But still, it's not like <laughs> the suffering of the cross. Who's going to willingly allow the child to be scourged, be crucified? Yes. <laughs> you know, for yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's the love of God. I tell you, God's love. But yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Um. So you, you talked a little bit about, you know, just your, your, Oh, how did I get into Catholicism? Well, how to get to media. media right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Oh, oh yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Did you answer that, that question? I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't. So <laughs> I was doing all this, um, at work, at church, going mm -hmm. around da, 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 and then the HHS mandate dropped mm -hmm. and I was invited to the castle. And by this point I had left corporate America again, through God's circumstances and beauty. I left corporate America, went to Lord's France, Oh, Which, I just got the way, back all, from there. So all this time, by the way, we're doing pro-life stuff. There's many of them. And I was told by doctors I could never have children. I was infertile, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Went to Lourdes, bathed in the water. My husband bathed in the water. Took my non-Catholic parents to Lourdes. They bathed in the water. Girl, let me tell you, it was grace all around. God was just wow. amazing. Long story short, she who was said that could not conceive did conceive. And I had a child, Lourdes Grace. Oh, beautiful. Um, and oh. so at this point, I left corporate America, done all that. And I had a baby, had Lourdes, she's a little, little thing. HHS mandate came out. A friend of mine was like, hey, they're having an all-women panel down to Catholic Information Center. I think you should go down there and speak about the HHS mandate. And I was like, okay, sure. They came. My husband came home from work. I was like, I don't want to go. I'm tired. He was like, you don't know what God has planned. You don't know what God has planned. Let's do it. So he takes me down there and they, I didn't know they were going to videotape it. And like the, the, my portion of the panel went viral and um, like people from all over just started calling me and asking me to come and do this and that and the other. Wow. And I had already at this point been on EWTN before some years ago through life on the rock. They pulled the episode because the priest who recorded the episode left in scandal. So it never oh, got aired dear. after those few times. I, I don't remember what his name was, but I'd already done TV and media just, you know, just on a, a fluke sort of thing. People yeah, called yeah, it that. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, that Catholic Information Center video went viral. Lots of media was calling from all over, lots of organizations. And then I was down at another protest in front of the White House about the HHS mandate. I spoke about that. I was one of the speakers there. And somebody from EWTN was like, hey, 
why don't you come be a consultant with us, a news consultant? We'd love to have you. And I was like, yeah, nah, uh-uh, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, I got a call about doing a morning radio show. And I was like, I don't want to get up early in the morning. <laughs> and my husband's like, come on, don't be lazy. I'll help you. I'll watch the baby, blah, blah, blah. So it's really my husband's support and wow. encouragement wow. is how I said yes to EWTN's uh, radio show. Um, and before that, I had done a, a television program for EWTN, a limited television series called Authentically Free at Last. And I only did that because Deacon Harold had been bugging me for like eight years to do a <laughs> television series with EWTN. And I prayed on it at the end of this novena. God gave me inspiration for what he wanted said. I wrote down there and, you know, didn't think anything of it. And then the answer came back, yes, on the Feast of St. Teresa of Avila. And I'm a third order Carmelite. So I no took that way. as a, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, God has um, called me to things in not the traditional ways. Let's just say that I had a, I, I'm so tired of telling these people think everybody think I'm crazy, but it was through a mystical experience that I realized he wanted me to come to Carmel. Wow. So I went uh, to Carmel and I, it's the medicine, my weak soul needs, my brokenness needs. And that's the other thing I need your listeners to understand. I'm not a special person. I'm not I'm broken. I, I'm very broken. Um, I'm, I'm weak. And um, God, in his generosity um, and kindness, um, has done these things because I need a strong medicine. Mm-hmm. It's not because I'm particularly fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a knock upside the head, girl, you need to wake yes. up kind of thing. He does cater so, his treatment to the patient. <laughs> right. I mean, so right. And so, and also I think I I share these things because I think also when these things happen is for the good of the entire community, not just for me. So sometimes people need to hear that God works in these ways. I don't know why, but people sometimes just need to hear it and know it and reflect on whatever truth they're supposed to glean from these encounters. Right. Um, So yeah, anyhow, so that's how I kind of ended up with EBTN, totally not, and, and doing any media at all. It was not at all planned. I had already at that point been doing years and years, maybe decade even or more of um, evangelization, outreach uh, uh, work, actually direct contact work mm-hmm. with the poor and vulnerable aid, people, HIV and AIDS positive, homeless, uh, people in crisis pregnancies, people with um, drug addiction, um, you name it. Yeah. I had already been heavily involved in all of this direct work ministry and then had, uh, through God's providence, opportunities to speak across the diocese in different locations about uh, the church's teaching, as I had done already uh, in my personal life on my job in corporate America. And if people don't understand that diversity inclusion includes believers, then I think you're missing what diversity inclusion is. And so when they say they want you to be your full self at work, I was, I prayed in front before I ate lunch, signed it across all that. Yeah. I'd be in executive meetings. Cause I, I look, it's funny. The more I w- witnessed to God, the more I kept getting promoted, the more money <laughs> I made. It was ridiculous. It was crazy. Yeah. It really was wild to me, but um, I was able to walk away from corporate America and be a stay at home mom. Wow. Uh, it just, God is good. That's all I can say. And then through no planning or desire of my own, I ended up um, in media. I didn't plan it, didn't want it, didn't seek it, actually rejected it. Um, and it was my husband's encouragement that 
made me even give it any anything yeah wow well I mean shout out to your husband for just being responsive to that grace and, and seeing that in you oh yeah he's he's an amazing man he's an amazing man wow so I mean you've talked about witnessing at the gospel work I mean you know having these direct conversations about contraception and then somehow you're getting you know promoted up uh, you know <laughs> yeah. contrary to what anyone would think yeah. Um, and then kind of ironically, you know, I know a little bit about when you were in Catholic media for a long time, not too long ago, you, you actually were basically canceled for speaking oh, yeah. out. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can you yeah, talk yeah, a little bit about, yeah. about that? Oh yeah. What so, happened? so, uh, yeah. So, you know, I had been known for my fervent pro-life advocacy and witness, um, and I think it was revealing to me how um, people don't understand legitimately my all that I do and have said in that area was based on truth, you know, our faith, you know, um, and a human dignity, dignity, human person. And in my when I had that experience, that chastisement at mass, uh, in my seeking what the church taught. Genesis 126 kept coming up. Let us make man in our image and likeness. Mm -hmm. And it's been something I've meditated on because there's such a deep truth yes. in that. And, and what that means, being made in the image and likeness of God, that every person made in the image and likeness mean we have an, an innocent, ah, just immeasurable dignity. And from that dignity, we are due to be treated with respect. And that is the foundation of, you know, <laughs> Uh, the dignity of the human person from conception to natural death, the protection of the human person from the womb to the tomb uh, has consequences, implications for how we live our life, right? Yes. How we see the world, right? Yes. And so people were shocked that I had something to say in the area of racial justice. People were shocked that I had something to say regarding the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. Um, people were shocked that I said police brutality is a grave evil. Right. You know, it is abuse of the legal power that we have given to the police to keep society safe. Yes. Uh, policing should not involve the torture of black people. Policing should not involve extrajudicial killing. Right. Uh, policing should not involve what we saw on camera happen to George Floyd. And um, it real. I, I came to see that people had an anemic understanding of the church's teaching. And I started to see how much more people were formed by the political party allegiance rather than by the lens of the gospel. Yes. And when I was at EWTN, I would get a lot of racist hate mail. Really? I was saying on there. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. People self-identified themselves. You know, they were these good Catholics and, you know, just, you know, really things that they were saying, they were spewing the mouth of the, the words coming from the mouth of the enemy. And it was the same demon that animates people to demean life in the womb. The same demon was speaking to them, demeaning uh, persons outside the womb on account of their race. And it made me realize that these very people in my audience need to be hearing the church's teaching just like anybody else needs to hear like they would get oh why we should talk about you know the sanctity of life right, right why that's right. important to speak about it but not realizing they themselves need a conversion on the issue right. the sanctity of life includes outside the womb the dignity of human person includes 
people like George Floyd, um, even if, you know, these people had some criminal background or some scuffles with the law in the past or whatever, it doesn't undo who they are. It doesn't undo their dignity. It doesn't undo the respect that they, which, which they should be treated. And um, it bothered people. I mean, a lot of people, and it was, you know, a quite uncomfortable for too many folks. And um, I was like, yeah, it's, it's, too bad that the listeners didn't realize <laughs> the gospel's uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know if you right. noticed. <laughs> well, I like, well, I was like, it's too bad that they didn't. They aren't recognizing that that same kind of spunkiness you love about me, mm-hmm. with you know, you know, issues with life in the womb. That same spunkiness carries through for everything, right? You know, with the human person, right? Um, well, what and, I think is, if um, just for jump in for a minute, if I think, yeah, like I think the church has always been very consistent in her pro-life message in terms of like anti-abortion, but I don't think the church has been consistent in, uh, I don't know if you want to call it an anti-racist message or a racial justice message. Anti-racist is fine. And that word actually was in, I forget which document, uh, document out of some pontifical commission that used the word anti-racist. And it was like from years and years ago. Really? But yeah, you're right. Yeah. The church itself in the United States has a terrible history vis-a-vis, uh, uh, you know, the dignity of human person. I mean, the fact that we had religious communities, we had universities owning slaves. You yeah. had Georgetown that wouldn't allow black people to attend yeah. university. You have religious communities that wouldn't admit black women, hence the founding of uh, um, the um, Oblate Sisters of Providence in Baltimore, and then the Sister of the Holy Family in New Orleans, expressly for black women. Um, you had basically no bishops wanted to ordain a black man. So I, Augustus yeah. Tolkien had to go get, no seminary wanted to take him, had to go to Rome yes. to become a priest and then was shockingly sent back here and then went to Illinois and then was abused by his brother priests. And, you know, yes. then Father August Thompson in Louisiana. I mean, just all these things, you see a terrible witness, not only from the clergy and religious communities and religious sisters, also the laity, awful, awful, mm-hmm. awful. Right. Um, Matthew Kressler wrote a great paper, a little called, um, I think, Good and Faithful Catholics. And it talks about how all these self-identified faithful Catholics wrote, I think, Archbishop Cody in Chicago, Illinois, to complain about him desegregating Catholic institutions, schools. You have people saying, I'm a daily mass goer, but I will not go wow. to mass with these Negroes. Wow. And these are Black people who share the faith with them. Right. You saw people, I mean, people would write these things in. Um, and we like to romanticize, you know, how Catholics are so outstanding on civil rights. No, we weren't. Yeah, <laughs> we were not. No, it was it was a real shock for me when I when I first read Augustine Tolton's biography because I I did have this picture of the church as like, well, we are always at the forefront of Mm-mm. justice mm-hmm. and and you know whatever is right, good, true, beautiful. We were always there leading, it. and we we weren't. I mean, to hear he was no. rejected everywhere was just. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, black people had to sit in the back of, the, of churches. Oh, yeah. The black churches down here, we have because we have a lot of um, very historic churches from the 17, 1600s. They have yeah. upper levels where, where the slaves had slaves. to sit, mm-hmm. um, you know, which which at first, like when I moved down here like 15 years ago, I was like, why do we have these double decker churches? <laughs> like what's going right. on? You know, that's why. Right. Yeah. So I would tell you, I was reading the slave narratives, um, the Federal Writers Project. 
sent people out, writers out to interview people who were formerly enslaved because they wanted to get uh, basically this history. And I remember reading an account of this woman saying that her mother, when her mother was a very young girl, these Catholics owned her um, and she was very young and the mistress of the house went to high mass and gave her mother a bunch of work to do. It was too much for a child to complete. So the lady came home from the Holy Mass, from high mass, and was enraged that this little girl had not done all the work that she had told her to do. So she took some object and threw it at the child and knocked her in the head. And in that place, her mother had a permanent indentation in her skull where the hair never grew. So wow. she would talk about how she'd always see her mother trying to comb over and hide the scar. So one afternoon, the mistress goes out to run some errands and her mother's left there at the house. Um, and their teenage sons basically gang raped the girl for the oh whole day. And she talks about, you know, the woman coming home and finding them being upset with her sons. But she then says, and that's how I came to be here. The woman that's given the narrative is she was the product of that rape. Wow. And um, she says, you know, my mother never had anything. She had no time for Catholics anymore. And it was just an interesting sort of view into one enslaved girl's experience being owned in a Catholic household. In fact, how this woman could go to high mass and induce such a cruel act of violence against a child Wow! right after going to mass and presumably receiving our Lord in communion, Right. you know? And so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, sometimes I think we, we need to go through, you know, we do, examination of conscience we need to go through historicals examination of conscience of our country of our church yeah um and really come to grips with the grave evil that we not only embraced um but helped sow and enable um and 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 recognize that the doors of the church were not a shield against the sin of racism yeah it was practiced within our own church within our parishes and you doubt me Uh, Look at the responses within Catholic churches regarding uh, the murder of George Floyd uh, and the Black Lives Matter movement, not the organization, small organization, but the movement. To me, the intentional conflation of the greater movement with a small organization in order to disregard the movement and what the movement was asking for, to me, is a function of the evil of racism. Yeah. Well, it's it's a convenient way to it. to dismiss it, I think, you know. Oh, absolutely. Just as I mean there's there's some radical radical people on, in, in the in pro-life movements and it's it's oh, easy sure. for someone, you know, let's say on the political left to dismiss pro-lifers and say, well they're, you know, you know, uh, uh-huh. harassing women Bombing or clinics, whatnot, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. When it is we're we're happy to say, well that's a small number, but I think it's right. it's different. It, it, you you kind of mentioned like just the politicization of this and it it, it just seems like there are certain depending on where you fall politically, there are certain moral issues that you're allowed to be incensed about and others that you're yeah. supposed to dismiss, you know? Right. And it, that's example that what happened with me with talking about racial justice and talking about the evil of racism. Um, people felt like, wait a minute, she's going off script. She can't talk about that. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> this and, is not in the approved list of topics. Right. Exactly right. And therefore I became persona non grata. I wasn't one of them, the kind of thing. And I was like, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That's always been my deal. And, you know, so if you were looking at for me to affirm 
your political tribe on everything and not speak out against the things that your political tribe is doing wrong or is, uh, you know, falling behind on, then you, you don't understand it. It's not about, to me, it's not about following a political tribe. It was, a, exactly. it's about loving Jesus and following Jesus, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. So, well, what would you say though, to the people who looked at things like George Floyd and, and said, well, this is an example of police brutality, but this isn't really a race thing. It's just, you know, he would have done it to a white person just the same. Yeah, I would say they need to pay attention to black people talking about police brutality for the better part of 100 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it, it, it shows that really people are just unaware of the black experience in the United States, the historical experience. They're unaware of the laws and practices yeah. in our own country because they have not bothered to learn. Okay, they haven't read anything. Uh, I would suggest reading Slavery by Another Name by Douglas A. Blackman, which is, uh, uh, it was a Pulitzer Prize winning book that talks about, well, what happened after emancipation? Because, you know, people like to think, oh, the slaves are freed, all was good. They don't realize that there was a violent resistance to the freedom of Black people and that white people perceived the freedom of Black people as uh, a violation of their own freedom. And that's because they had been conditioned for centuries to see black people as property. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely not their equal. Um, you, you, you read the accounts of uh, in Greene County, Alabama, um, after slavery, these black uh, folks had sued to get paid for the previous year's work on crops and filed lawsuits, used the system, did the right thing. Honey, the white folks in that county went and burned down the whole courthouse and oh, every complaint anybody ever had in it. Wow. It's a function of white supremacy. The law doesn't exist for you. Black people is what they were saying. And we don't care if it means all our legal complaints are destroyed. Well, we're making sure you understand mm-hmm. the law doesn't work for you. It is for us. And you, even though you're free, you cannot participate in society as our equals. And even to read uh, about the history of law enforcement uh, from the law enforcement museum itself, it talks about uh, law enforcement growing out of slave patrols whose functions were to monitor and and keep track of everything going on in the community of enslaved people and to use terror and violence to keep them in line. So where, it, it, when policing has grown out of that, what great movement have we had in pol- policing to rid it of that? Right. You know, if it's always to view the black person as with suspicion, right? right. Even if you look at how people received um, what happened during the uh, Black Lives Matter, what people call uprisings, other people are like, look at the damage and all the stuff that they did. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, January 6th? <laughs> I mean, seriously, how, uh, how black uh, people respond to things is 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 viewed so differently right. than how white people well, well even i mean look at i mean the boston tea party you know i mean that's like okay. one of the great events in american history you know right, I, you right. Know. and that was destruction of property all the very things that people were angry about with yeah uh, and we we love that we're like stuff, yeah right. yeah we threw their stupid tea into the you know like, well and and what we don't also acknowledge though is they did it dressed as native americans they didn't even show up as themselves oh they dressed up as native americans and destroyed property and i was like how cowardly wow. and also another function of using uh, a powerless community a community can yeah. be easily scapegoated yeah. 
yeah. as a front for the violence that they want to do. Wow. I didn't, I don't think you're I right. yeah. realized that. Or maybe I, I don't oh, know if yeah. I knew that or forgot that, but that, wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so you're right. Well, how is it that the Boston Tea Party is this revolutionary, wonderful act, right? Because it's for justice and for our rights. Right. But if a target is burned down uh, because a Black man is murdered by a police officer, tortured and murdered on camera, um, we're more concerned with the loss of business and property and income than the permanent loss of George Floyd's life. Right. You know, and, and, and people will, they would love to quote Martin Luther King. Right. And I said, well, what about King said, uh, riot is the language of the unheard. And while he's not condoning quote unquote riots, he's saying what we have to do and talk about is address what is underneath that, what causes, what led to that. And often we don't want to address that. We often want to punish the folks that are doing what happened at the Boston Tea right. Party, destroying property and things like that. Now, I'm not running out saying people need to go and destroy property because sure. that's another thing. People do take what I say and completely misrepresent it. Right, right. Okay. So um, I'm not saying go out, yeah, yeah, let's go out and destroy everybody's property. What I am saying is why is it that we can look at when white people destroy property or break laws and say, well, that's in the cause of justice. And if it's in the uh, when uh, black people or groups of people do things in the cause of racial justice, that it is uh, a destruction is just evil and there's nothing meritorious in their complaints, you know. Right. Well, I mean, so maybe help me understand kind of what you think is is going on psychologically there, because I think. Some people, oh, yeah. you can see the connection of, okay, this police officer murdered this man or community. Let's go to the police station and burn it down. Or let's go to, you know, <laughs> yeah. somewhere in his community. But, like, why go to a store or a business that isn't directly related to the to the incident at hand? Like, what do you think is going on kind of psychologically? Oh, I, oh yeah, I think it's just um, people acting out. Mm-hmm. I also don't think I don't think that they were the vast majority of Black Lives Matter no, protests, uprising, no. whatever the word you want to say. There are all, uh, always people sometimes that are what do you call it? Um, opportunistic. Opportunistic. Thank you. That are just opportunists. They had yeah. nothing to do with the movement, but they're like this is an opportunity to go jack some stuff, right? Right. 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 Uh, or and also that they're like, and these people aren't really invested in my community. They're just here to, you know, they don't see the businesses that they targeted. Um, as a part of the community in any way, in any real meaningful way. Um, And so they go and rob them. In some cases, there are people who are show up to these things just to create anarchy. Right. Uh, Also, they show up to um, discredit the movement. That was, uh, you know, we, we saw in some of the reports that, you know, you had Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and other white supremacist groups coming to these things to destroy property, to try to to try to discredit the movement. Right. So, Which it seems, you know, seems like if, if a lot of people on the right are willing to say, well, you know, a lot of people who went to the January 6th rally were not storming the Capitol, then you should at least be able to say, well, most people that go to Black Lives Matter rally or march are not destroying property or not, you know, yeah, looting, rioting. I've, I've gone to, right, I've been to, I went to the one uh, in, in D.C. when it was um, on the anniversary of March on Washington. And it was like a family event, I have mm-hmm. to tell you. Mm-hmm. And it was people of all races. It was just beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it was ridiculously hot, I tell you what. And I had on a mask. I don't know how I didn't pass out out there. <laughs> but um, it was just everybody. It was like the human family showed up. And it, it was just incredible. I just felt you... Oh, 
all faiths, all races, yeah. all expressions of, of the human person were there because we all wanted the same thing. We wanted a greater peace in our country, right. you know, and it was, um, it was, it was, it was a very moving, unifying experience. Wow. No violence. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, no well, violence. yeah. So it wasn't on the news then. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and, you know, it, it's just, if you don't want to engage on issues of justice, you will find an excuse not to. For sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you don't, you know, it, it just, it was like, to me, it, absurd that they're going to say you're anti-police because you're saying no to police brutality. That's right. just, it was to me, it was just, I didn't even It's take like you're saying seriously. no to parenting if you say you shouldn't, you know, right. beat your kids. Your kids. <laughs> like, right, right. No. You your kids. You're anti-parenting. Right. You're anti-parental rights. Right. No, we're anti-abuse of parent rights. Exactly. Right? Okay. Exactly. That kind of thing. Wow. So, yeah. No, well, people who are, aren't willing to be very nuanced I guess they want things to yeah to I, be simple to be you know it's yeah. this or that I mean when yeah. when is anything when is anything simple math's not even simple once you get out of Thank fourth grade you, you know <laughs> right, exactly <laughs> for sure for sure yeah exactly wow yeah, and I think the most hurtful thing to me um has been this sort of idea that somehow I'm not a faithful catholic yeah and I was like what do you and, and, so, and then I was like you know what let them talk about me so yeah. what? Well, Jesus wasn't is, a faithful, he wasn't a faithful Jew. He wasn't a faithful right. believer in God. Right. That, and then that's when I was like, okay, Lord, is this part of that cross too? Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me take it. Let me, let me carry this one too. Right. Um, and having to be okay with uh, being canceled, if you will, and not knowing what God had for you next and being like, okay, Lord, it's all yours. And that's the other thing, the abandon and trust to God. Yes. I will do and speak as long as he wants me to, because he will make those, opportunities happen um yeah. and when it's time for me not to he will direct me some other way and I'm fine with that right um and I think that's the other thing that I, I always thought was peculiar um the idea of catholic celebrity is repulsive to me yeah um I think it's dangerous and I think it, it becomes is. more about the person rather than about Jesus yes and when it's that you're not serving him you're serving something else right and serving so, yourself <laughs> you serve or the enemy too oh, yeah know? that's true you know <laughs> the enemy, right um and so you know uh, so I didn't receive a lot of things as the end of the world type of thing mm -hmm. I just like okay Lord whatever what you want next whatever you want next for me yeah whether it's continuing in some way to speak publicly or not I'm I'm I'm, I'm down with you I rock yeah. with you you know what I mean <laughs> so yeah. It, it, so you have to have a, a sense of detachment from the things of the world um, and be attached to the right things. Yes. And so um, if you believe what we say in the creed, all things invisible and invisible, it includes money, house, mm. media, all of that is in under his domain. Yes. And so things that you <laughs> could never imagine he will make happen. So true. So true. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, just to, to wrap up here, if you had the ear of uh, pastors and people who really say, I'm a, I'm a faithful Catholic, I'm a faithful churchgoer, um, how would you tell them they should be addressing issues of racism, racial injustice, specifically in, in the church? Um, yeah, yeah, What yeah. are the right words and actions? Yeah, I think we have to, 
have people understand that racism is an evil. It's a sin. Yeah. Too often people look at it as a political thing, right. as merely political power. But racism is a grave offense against God. It's an offense against God's plan for the human family and human, human flourishing. It is a rebellion against his word. He said, let us make man in our image. Racism says, no, mm-hmm. only some people are made in his image and likeness. Only some people are worthy of dignity and respect. Only some people have royal status. And it has been, if you look at the laws and practices in this country, whiteness was given a royal status, mm-hmm. Okay. It just was. And right now, after centuries of conditioning uh, uh, toward that, we now have to undo it. We have to undo the, the deep roots of the sin of racism in our country and how it has infected the church as well. And pastors themselves need to understand that. And if you are a shepherd of souls, it includes banishing that particular demon from the lives of your children. We are your spiritual children. And they themselves also, I hate to say it, need to go through some, I call it, we need an exorcism of the mind. Because I will tell you, I got a lot of stuff from religious priests, sisters alike, that demonstrated they were also influenced by the evil of racism. Wow. And they don't recognize it. For example, they could look at the video of George Floyd and instead of being horrified like they would be if they saw in a, a video of an abortion, their mm. their their reflex was, well, what did he do? Mm. Okay. Um, nobody deserves that. Right. <laughs> nobody. I don't care what the person, nobody. So you see what I'm saying? There's that right. kind of, they can't even see in it the evil. Right. You know what I mean? So they themselves need some... Uh, deprogramming if yeah. you will yeah. and hopefully some of that that can maybe watch the video series i did with word on fire okay. called racism in the catholic church it's on youtube it's free um read some of the books that i me- mentioned in uh yeah. the word on fire uh, series some of them of course i mentioned here slavery by another name when affirmative action was white um uh, good and faithful catholics by matthew Cressley. you could look that up online i think it's a pdf uh the history of black Catholics by Cyprian Davis. He was a Benedictine monk, black man. Read his, the history of uh, black Catholics in the United States. Uh, these kinds of things to even become familiar with the experience of black people in the church, in the United States, in the United States itself. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. They can also reflect on what did you learn in seminary? Probably next to nothing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'm serious. I think they just just next to nothing. They're have have you not... ever spo- been invited to speak in a seminary before? Girl, let me tell you the juice on that. <laughs> I was invited to a seminary to talk about racism and quietly never invited. A, like they just didn't ever really? get back to me and did everything around me and did not. Yeah, uh, it was wild. I was like, okay, so they weren't serious. And I hope whoever went to that seminary, whoever was involved in planning that stuff is listening mm. because it was very clear to me they weren't serious. Mm. So so they Somebody, extended an invitation and then just never followed up with it, basically? On, I, on behalf of one of the seminarians, mm. I was invited. Oh, okay. And then they found every reason and rigmarole to just ignore get, keeping in touch with me. Wow. And so they went and had their event, but what they did was the most antiseptic, ineffective, 
uh, discussion of racism in no way, in my opinion, to have a real conversation or um, begin real conversion. To me, it was to make sure no white person was disturbed. Wow. And I thought by doing that, they didn't serve Jesus because you cannot encounter Christ and remain the same. Right. Right. You cannot. Well, I mean, and any so, examination you know, of conscience, any penance exactly, is supposed to exactly. strike your, make you uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so they were more afraid about the politics. Wow. They were more afraid of disturbing people who had certain political affiliations than they were with, in my opinion, based on the, the things that were discussed, how it was discussed. Um, it was just, a, 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 to me, a, a, a failure to actually try to encounter Christ and see his face in this. Yeah. And what does he call us to do? I mean, uh, to me, as Catholics, this should be easy. We are suppo- we're used <laughs> to doing examinations of conscience right. and coming to grips with the evil of sin and repenting. Right. Repenting and asking right. for God's grace that we could do better well, and, yeah. and realize that that's our life's work. But the failure to do that, for all you pastors listening, in the face of racism, to me, why did you become a priest? Mm. Read since St. John Vianney. You think he was popular? His feast day today. Yes. Yes, his feast day today. Love him. I mean, <laughs> you know? So yeah. how is it that you're letting your children be consumed by this demon? And you're not going to say anything because it might be uncomfortable. Now, I'm not saying you need to set the church on, you know, your parish on fire. Sure. And I understand that sometimes what you need, when you see someone in a snare, you don't just yank them out. Sure. It takes some, some gentle surgical work there, right? Yeah. Um, but you have to do and say something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if, you know, you need to be praying and fasting for sure. Because I know dealing with the chancery is not easy either, fathers. <laughs> God bless you all. I understand. Oh, the, you know? yes. <laughs> you know? The bureaucracy. Right? So it's, it's, not a, it's not an easy thing, but there's so many of us here, fathers, that are willing to help you, yeah. that are willing to come to your parish, are willing to come to your diocese, that are willing to help with the work. Just reach out. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Well, I mean, to anybody who, who would doubt that you're a faithful Catholic, I just say, listen to the first half of this interview before we even touch the subject oh, yeah. of race. And, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, it just speaks for itself. Um, but thank you mm-hmm. so much for joining me. I've been inspired, challenged, and just encouraged by this conversation. Um, cool. I can't wait to share it. I, I can't wait to have you back already because yeah. I could talk to you for four hours. I'm, I'm fascinated by your life um, and by your oh, witness, wow. but um, just a warm recommendation um, for your, for your podcast. Um, you know, just look Gloria up. She's on, you want to plug your social medias and all that. Oh yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis. That's P U R V as in Victor I S at Gloria underscore Purvis. I'm also on Facebook, Gloria Purvis. And I'm also on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. Yeah, follow me. Uh, yeah. Send me, drop me a, a line. Let me know what you'd like to talk about. Um, say some prayers for me, please. That number one. Let that be. Yes. Amen. Number one. Please. And you can find <laughs> me in various uh, media outlets writing. So for America Magazine, Sons and Things for Deseret. Uh, just, yeah. I, I usually share them on social media when I've written something. So, and I'll share this Great. podcast when it comes out. Too. Great. That would be amazing. Wow. Thank you so much, Mary Rose. Thank it's you been so much. Great talking to you. You as well. I really enjoyed this.
But I tell you what, none of y'all want that many chastisements. I'm still going to tell you that. <laughs> you still <laughs> well, don't want you that. You know what's so funny is, I don't know, have you heard, um, there's all these, have you heard of like the countdown to the kingdom stuff? No, uh, what is that? Okay, well, I don't know. There's there's all these, um, there's all these kind of prophecy, internet prophecy people, and some oh. of them get a little out there, but one of them that's very popular is is this Counting the Kingdom website, and they have this thing about like there's going to be a universal illumination of conscience that that everybody's going to receive like it were the day of judgment, and and I don't know whether it's going to happen or not, but I think mm-hmm. you know some people think some people hear that and think oh good all the sinners will <laughs> convert and not really think about themselves and their own yeah really recipient recipi- uh, yeah right that. right they think they're all good let me tell you and he I, look he only showed me a glimpse because i think i would have died if you showed me everything wow so uh, seriously he, that's also his mercy and generosity uh, you're right if, if they got another thing coming if they think oh all of them over there are going to find out oh yeah you, yeah you see yeah you'll see yeah <laughs> nobody's see. nobody has anything to offer on the day right of look we all are in need of conversion in one way or another and it's really uh pride that makes you think you don't yes uh need it um even the greatest saints talks talk about you know oh my gosh what did oh please I know you yeah. well yeah you you mentioned <laughs> Teresa of Avila I I read uh, I've read some of her like uh interior castle and I remember like yeah. you're in like the like the first you're not even in the first mansion yet and she's already like you're completely detached from all venial sin <laughs> I'm like I'm right. not even I'm I'm on the moat around the castle I haven't even entered into the castle and that's already how far along you're you're supposed to be before you even get into right. the castle and it's like oh dear <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? I mean, if you read in her autobiography, she talks about getting taken to see her place in hell. Girl, that that fried wow. my wig. When I was reading her book, I was like, what? Yeah. And she had a place in hell? What? And she's I a have? nun. I know. Yes, she's a that girl that had me running through my house like, oh, <laughs> Jesus, mercy. <laughs> Don't look at me. That's what I would feel. Yeah, it really, let me tell you, woo-wee, that, that fried my wig, girl. Wow. I'm telling you. 